Welcome to the Happy Prayer Podcast. We're Dave and Steve, and we're delighted to have you aboard. This week, we're joined with the wonderful Dr. Danny Gordon. She's a double board certified medical doctor and a world leading authority on integrative medicine. She's an amazing speaker. She's spoken at the UN, invited to Downing Street. She's an expert in can- cannabinoid medicine, and she's just an amazing speaker on the topic of resilience. And also, this week, we really camped out on the area of burnout. Yeah, she's the founder of the London Resilience Clinic, author of the Resilience Blueprint Bible. Um, Really amazing. Like, uh, if you haven't experienced any symptoms of burnout yourself, you probably know of friends or colleagues or family members that have experienced, whether they've experienced full burnout or or symptoms of burnout, it's become much more prevalent in our always-on society. So today, this is what Danny deals with people day in and day out. She deals with patients which are typically too hard to handle for most doctors they're typically there's too many too much a complexity of issues because of burnout burnout can be caused for many different things anyway she's the expert um it's a fascinating conversation that i think you'll really really enjoy if you'd love to stay up to date with what's going on in the happy pair and with seasonal recipes do check out and subscribe to our newsletter dave writes it every week and really puts a bit of heart and soul into it and um, if you do listen to our podcast regularly and it does add value to your life, one of the greatest compliments you can do is to give it a five star review on wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, another thing you can do is you could share it with a friend or family because I guess we really believe in this podcast. We learn so much from it and I think it can help so many different people. If you are on YouTube, we have started to publish our podcast in video format on YouTube. It's just the Happy Pair podcast, you'll find it. And we do cut it down into small, well, Shawnee cuts them down into smaller, more shareable episodes. So just a review, sign up to the newsletter, five-star review, share with a friend and subscribe to the Happy Pair podcast on YouTube. And here is the wonderful Danny Gordon. Black Friday sale, wonderful opportunity for anyone who loves instant air fryers. They are phenomenal. We we love the Vortex VersaZone. Um, they're offering for up to 40% off. There is a link down in our show notes. Click that to avail of it. Um, just to even describe it, like, I love air fryers and the instant Vortex VersaZone, it's like a beast. It's huge. It's it got so much capacity for you to control um, the temperature, the time. Just there's, there's so much room to play with. It's not just an air fryer. It's like an air fryer on steroids. Yeah, I know that sounds a little weird, but really, really is. That's 40% off the Instant Vortex versus own air fryer. It's the one that I use at home. I use it all the time. I've got three of them. I'm very greedy, but I do use them all the time. It's all I use. I don't use the oven. You get a little uh, garage for your air fryers. I had to build an extra extension on the kitchen presses just to put in my air fryers. Uh, genuinely, I'm not I lying. Know. Um, They're like little mini cars. Uh, anyway, we're going off topic here. 40% off. Um, check it out. Link in the show notes. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here today. It really is, Danny. Thank you, thank yeah. you, thank you. Um, yeah, really, really. Um, okay, what do you want to open up with, Steve? I'd love to open with the topic of burnout. I think something that's very pervasive in our society and yeah. it's something that, does it affect a certain type of person? Like, is it, like, in maybe in my yeah. myopic perspective, it's typically yeah. really driven people or else it's someone yeah. that's very wanting to serve others. Yeah, like, uh, I remember I remember in school, it was always teach, there was a couple of teachers that typically got it and then yeah. you, I, I know yeah. of other friends who were in yeah. financial services and they had issues with it and you know there, it seems to be there's and probably yeah. emergency responders I can imagine there's challenges with yeah. that but I, I don't know if there's or, or we were also hypothesizing there in the room about going is there a correlation between desk jobs and you know burnout or not yeah so I think you know there's there's the strict definition of burnout which is more related to work um you know toxic stress in the work environment so it can happen to to someone in any profession but you can also give get burnout from caregiver stress so someone who's looking after a loved one who has a chronic illness or 
um, you know, a parent with a disabled child, um, which is, you know, very intense. And you can also get burnout um, for, you know, neurodivergent people get burnout. So ASD burnout from just the um, needing to mask and, you know, assume uh, or appear to be neurotypical all day going to what school, does, going to work. What does ASD mean? Um, autistic spectrum disorder. Okay, so yeah. people who are neurodiverse or neurodivergent, they can get burnout too, because when your brain is um, works differently when you are neurodiverse um, or ASD, as it's, 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 it's you know called medically, it's not a disease, but your brain works differently. So that means when people with ASD go to work or school, they know when sometimes people don't know that they have a, a neurodiverse brain and they have to as, uh, appear to fit in like they're neurotypical. So that can also lead to burnout as well. When they get home, sometimes they just have meltdowns um, because the stress is so so high during the day for them. It's called masking. So there's all different kinds of burnout. So you can get burnout no matter what your job is, no matter what kind of person you are, what age you are. But certainly the helping professions are known to um, have high rates of burnout. And it's true. So I do see in my practice a lot of medics, a lot of nurses, allied health professional, dentists, um, you know, social workers, that sort of thing. Wow. Okay. So there is certain industries yeah. that's prevalent. And and I yeah. guess even to bring it back up, like you're you're a, a like a double board certified doctor. Like how did you get into this? Because I do like certainly over the last decade it's become I've seen it so much more prevalent amongst friends and family and people who, who yeah. you know deal with it. And, and what kind of led you into burnout and this resilience area? Yeah. So um I am an integrated medicine doctor. So what that means is I went to medical school in the normal fashion. Then I went into family medicine, did my specialty in family medicine in, in Canada. And then I went on to do another specialization in this thing called integrated medicine in the US. So what led me to doing that was I was really interested in both preventative medicine or upstream medicine. So helping people um, avoid getting really sick when they're kind of getting the first symptoms of not being well. So first stages of burnout. And then people who have already been sick and helping them to recover um, using something other than a drugs-only based approach. So the reason I was interested in this is because I struggled with stress in medical school. I think genetically, I probably have a lower than average stress tolerance, which you can do all kinds of fancy genetic tests now to see where you are on that spectrum. And also, I just felt really disillusioned um, going through medical school, seeing all these patients with chronic illness who were just not getting better. So that is what really led me into, you know, my specialty of integrated medicine. Um, and I find the term burnout, it's really interesting because I get a lot of people, obviously in the clinic, people come to see me for medical problems, but some of them actually call it burnout. So when I assess them clinically, they might have, they might need criteria for depression or an anxiety disorder or insomnia or chronic fatigue. Um, using these different scales we use using clinical assessments but to them it feels like burnout and that's really important because at the end of the day it's really how the patient feels that that matters um and sometimes that's missed out in, in modern medicine so um i do see a lot of burnout from all these different reasons because burnout affects the brain so it can cause problems with mood problems with energy levels it affects the body so it can leave you predisposed to a variety of chronic illnesses as well as pain syndromes. So I see a lot of full body pain syndromes where a burnout or a stressful event has preceded the, the symptoms. Um, so yeah, so that, that's kind of like how I got started. And um, that's really what my passion is. This area of medicine is helping people with chronic symptoms recover their health. 
Yeah. And wow. do you like, do you uh, like the term burnout? Like it's, is it because like we've got a, a, a good friend of ours yeah. as a consultant gastroenterologist and the word IBS, he, he really has a problem with it. He says yeah. it's an umbrella term that is masks the underlying issues and very, and people kind of get attached to this, this kind of, I have IBS, but it really could be, yeah. uh, you know, a whole plethora of other different, you know, diseases or illnesses, which are a lot easier to treat. Uh, do you, what do you, what do you find about the term yeah. burnout? Do you? Well, I think, you know, in, in medical terms, I'm not writing burnout as the main diagnosis when I'm seeing a patient. Um, but I think it's a term that people identify with. And I think one of the reasons why is it, it seems a lot more socially acceptable to accept that you might have burnout than for some people, uh, for example, to accept that they might have depression or an anxiety disorder. So I think from that perspective, if it, if it gets patients saying, or people just saying, okay, I think, I think something's out of balance, I need to do something. I think it's a good thing. Um, but certainly, of course, in medicine, especially in integrated medicine, we want to look at root causes. So I completely agree with your friend who's the gastroenterologist. And he actually sounds like a really good gastroenterologist because, yeah, when I see patients who have come to me with the label of IBS, I'm doing stool testing. I'm doing functional medicine panels. Sometimes I'm working with a gastroenterologist to get them scoped. And we're we're seeing, um, you know, looking at the brain-gut connection, the vagal nerve tone, which is how the automatic nervous system is working and affecting the gut. These are all things we're looking at rather than, as your friend rightly said, say, oh, you just have IBS. So rather than saying, oh, you just have burnout, we obviously have to get to the um, the potential causes of burnout, the precipitating factors, um, the contributing factors that are making the burnout continue. And then we treat those individually, getting to the root causes uh, as much as we can, really. Mm. Yeah, it's brilliant. And for for like... What are typical first signs of burnout for someone who's kind of like, is it that you're finding it hard to relax and that you're kind of yeah. like, like for anyone yeah. who kind of goes, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm on the path possibly, but I'm not sure what, what do people need to look out for? What does one need to be aware of? Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the first signs there's there's signs in different categories. So in the work category, a sign of burnout would be not feeling fulfilled in your job anymore, feeling more cynical than you used to. Um, specifically, healthcare workers with burnout, they lose, they have compassion fatigue, which means they're a really compassionate person, but they've just lost the ability to feel compassion at work because they're just so mentally numbed because of burnout. Wow. So those are some of the work signs. So you're not enjoying your work. You don't feel as passionate about it. You feel more cynical. Um, you don't feel hopeful about the future for your career. So those are kind of career-based ones because I also work in the corporate world. I work with people in you know corporate jobs and in finance as well. And for those people, they often identify with those as triggers from a work perspective. Then there's things from a life perspective that are triggers for, okay, this, there's something wrong. So one of them is when someone becomes fatigued versus just tired. So tired means that you haven't been getting enough sleep. So you might be, um, you know, overdoing it, burning the candle at both ends. You might be just sleeping for six hours a night and you wake up and you feel tired because you haven't got that eight hours or seven and a half hours or nine hours, depending on the person of that sleep. Fatigue, on the other hand, is defined as when you were getting that sleep, you were in your bed for those amount of hours and you still wake up feeling tired, feeling unrested. That's called what we call fatigue in medical speak. So if you tip over into fatigue, meaning you're getting your, those hours in bed and you're still waking up feeling tired, then that's a sign that your body is entering into this kind of burnout kind of phase. Um, other people start off with, and actually a lot of people start off with this hyper arousal. 
face, as you mentioned before, just feeling um, like, you know, like some people say they feel jacked up. Um, they feel wired, but tired. And sometimes the wired comes before the tired. So sometimes people will feel like they have a nervous energy um, and they kind of crash into sleep at night. But during the day, they're kind of, they're on edge. They feel on edge. They feel anxious, but they, they still have energy because it's like, but it's like a nervous energy. So feeling on edge, feeling wound up, having trouble relaxing, that can also be an initial sign. Wow. The, like we, um, have you heard about the blue zones? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And Dan Butner, the guy who was one of the kind yes. of the spearheaded, he often has the phrase that we live in an obesogenic environment, that it's, you know, yeah. if, you're, yeah. if you're overweight and you're ill healthy, it's yeah. very likely not your fault because the environment, the, the unhealthy choice is a lot easier than the healthy choice. Yes. And nowadays I look at our environment, I look at like we're 44, we're 43, 44 next month. And I kind of go in yeah. the last 20 years, like since social media and phones and Netflix yeah. and like, it's just life has become so much more always on. And yes. has there been, has it been the last 20 years that it's massively skyrocketed because of email and text message and yes. WhatsApp and Snapchat and Instagram stories and, and yes. I need to have abs as well. And I want to be a mother or a father <laughs> and, and I got to buy a house and, and I need to go to Bali because yeah. someone just went to Bali and then yeah. I'm going to be happy and, and, and I need a career, you know, and all these things. And yeah. I just wonder, has it skyrocketed in the last two decades? Oh, I think so. Definitely. I I just turned 40 a couple of weeks ago. So I'm in the same cohort as you guys. So yeah, I think it, it is more challenging now to shut off than it ever was before. And of course, it's not all bad. Of course, social media comes with good things too, and access to the internet. Information is power for people with chronic illness. So there's good things too, but that inability to shut off easily is a huge, huge factor in in burnout. So screen time has gone through the roof. And we can't avoid these screens completely. I mean, I work on a computer. I see people doing virtual medicine. I see people from all around the country, which is amazing that they can access me. But um, I sit on the computer all day. So, you know, I think it's, we have to do things to combat these things. Um, for me, I turn my phone on airplane mode as soon as I finish work. That's a big one for me. Um, and there's other things like um, doing mindfulness meditation. I try to fit in even five minutes at lunchtime getting out in nature, putting your feet, it sounds it sounds like very hippie woo-woo stuff, but literally just putting your feet um, on some grass, if you I can. Oh, we, inter um, we interviewed the grounding guys. So we, we're, I have a grounding <laughs> sheet that I sleep on every night. So we're we're all into it. I wear grounding straps on my shoes. So yeah, we're, we're, yeah. we're into yeah, that one. So, so I think in, in doing things to calm the nervous system, um, you know, I, I, I go see an acupuncturist. Um, I use uh, a device that helps with vagal tone when I'm working on the computer. So I clip it on. What, what is, what is a vagal the... tone? Like I know your vagus so vagal... nerve. Yeah. So that's what it is. So it's vagal tone is how well your vagus nerve is working. And for those right. people who might not know what that is, the vagus nerve is a really, really important part of your rest and digest and feeling safe mode of the nervous system or the parasympathetic nervous system. So we know that low vagal tone is associated with a number of, of, of health problems from anxiety and depression to neuro, um, you know, brain diseases, essentially. And chronic low-grade stress can, can decrease our vagal tone. So there's really easy things you can do like gargling, chanting, humming, singing, um, going for a walk, exercise. And then there's higher tech things you can do. Um, if you are sitting at a computer like I do for a lot of the, the hours of the day, 
So there's these devices that you can use now at home, and they basically stimulate the auricular or the ear branch of your vagal nerve. So there's, I use a lot of these things myself, and I use them with my patient um, because you have to make things practical for people. Some people can't get out and go for a walk every single lunchtime. Um, so, so these are some other strategies I think are, are helpful. And, and does that when it sits in your ear, like, you know, the way there's those, um, cool earphones you can put and they, they're vibration ones. Is it kind of like that where there's vibration that's stimulating yeah, your vagal tone or. Exactly. It's on the trigus of your ear and which is where the, uh, auricular branch of the vagus nerve is. And it clips on and it sends a, an electro pulse basically Pretty through cool. that area. So it. It is really cool, yeah. Wow. And, you know, there's, so there's some high-tech stuff you can great. do. Well, 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 anything that you can just sit there and it happens is <laughs> yeah. like, people, it's much more accessible for people to do. It means I don't have to get up at 6.30 and go for a run or jump in the cold sea or something. Like it sounds... And those things are great. You know, cold yeah. therapy, is a, these are all great things, but I have a lot of patients with chronic illness. So I have the desk workers who are pretty healthy and they're kind of more my burnout patients. But then I have people who are really unwell and they have a lot of chronic illnesses um, together and... For those people, they might be housebound or even bedbound when they wow. first see me. So anything I can do for them that is easy for them to do for that initial phase of getting their resilience higher is is really important. Yeah. On the topic of chronic illness, my understanding of chronic illness yeah. is, is an illness that lasts a long period of time. And throughout that yeah. process, almost like mental health deteriorates, physical health almost compounds, yeah. deteriorates too. And you're in this negative cycle. It's, how do you approach that? Because it's this... It's not just a physical symptom anymore. I imagine, I yeah. imagine prolonged illness results in mental health deterioration also. So you're, you're having to hit it from yes. every factor. Very holistic. You have to hit it from a, an integrative and an upstream approach. Oh, very good, David. Yeah. You're saying Thank all the right you. things. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. So I specialize in complex chronic illness treatment. So I always tell my patients that I get patients that have been put into the, what I call the too hard bucket by a lot of other doctors. Um, and people get put into the too hard bucket because they have usually overlapping symptoms. They might have um, they might have been diagnosed with depression or anxiety or a sleep problem. Plus, they have chronic pain. They might have some kind of immune system problem, digestion problems, and all of these symptoms, as you rightly said, start to compound each other and lead to this cycle of getting feeling worse and less resilient over time. So. Picking it all apart is complicated, but it's possible and people can get better. So my approach with them when I see those patients, number one, is we usually um, I, I do an integrative assessment and we figure out together where's the most bang for buck initially. So I might use something like a cannabis-based medicine to help calm their nervous system, to get them sleeping better, to calm down their pain pathways um, or their anxiety. And that is something that's easy for someone to take, quote unquote, take. So sometimes I start with things that you can take or do easily, like the vagal nerve device. And then we start with things that you do once they're feeling better. So, you know, even before I do fancy functional medicine testing, like for the gut, for the gut brain axis, for hormones, um, the results of those tests lead to having to do changes in the lifestyle, like changes in the diet, taking a lot of supplements a lot of times for short periods of time. Those things are harder to do when someone's resilience is very low. So we usually start with therapies that kind of bump them up one or two levels, and then we tackle the next bucket. Because oftentimes what's happened is patients have received so much advice all at once about all these different things that they need to do, and it's so overwhelming for them that they're not able to stick with it, and that makes them feel worse. And 
hurts their self-esteem even more that they can't get better. Um, so that's usually what, what we do with someone who has a lot of complex chronic illness going on. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine it's starting really slow because if yeah. your nervous system is in firing off and everything is triggering you and you're hypersensitive to any kind of criticism yes. or negativity or and you're exhausted, like it's it's anything that it, you need to be kind of held nearly and spooned for, you know, until yes. you feel safe again and then slowly, slowly recover until you start to feel more yourself, I'd imagine. Yeah, exactly that. And, you know, we know that the brain and the gut and the immune system, they all talk to each other. So when people have chronic pain, for example, the pain is not just in the limb or the hand or the shoulder anymore. It's in the brain. It affects the gut. It affects the nervous system. It affects the immune system. So we we really have to look at this, like you said, in a very holistic fashion if we're going to get people well um, for the long term. Wow. Yeah. It's incredible work. And autoimmune disease, do these tend to, do they, are they kind of triggered by autoimmune disease or autoimmune disease are serious, are typically part of the bundle? Um, it can be, um, it depends on the patient. So, you know, autoimmune disease definitely have a genetic predisposition. So someone who has a very strong family history of lots of autoimmune diseases, we're going to be more prone to them. And often if I would say almost always, there's always an exception in medicine, which is what you learn the more you practice. But usually there's some kind of stress event or an infection or an emotional stressor or them pushing themselves too hard. Like um, typical is the lawyer who pushes himself really hard running the marathon should have maybe pulled out of the marathon because they got a little bit sick and they were really working hard at work, but just pushed on. And then they end up with an autoimmune condition that starts up wow. after. Sometimes if we push the body so hard, or if the body has an acute stressor, then something can go wrong in the immune system, especially if we're predisposed genetically, and that can trigger the onset of an autoimmune condition. Wow. So it seems like it's that there's that kind of balance. It's a bit like life in general. Once you cross over a point, like stress, like what I understand is a certain amount of stress is very healthy. We need stress in, you know, yes. to help us to grow, to build resilience. You know, our muscles get bigger when we stress them. Um, yes. You know, we when we're challenged, we grow, like growth comes out of it. So stress is an important part of life. But when you cross over a certain point, then it becomes negative and it starts to negatively impact you. That's right. It's something called the Yerkes-Dodson law. So basically, this is a really fancy way of saying, and the they've Yerk, known about this for over... The Yerkes-Dodson uh, law. Yeah. Wow, what a name. So, you know, the interesting thing is... Yerkes and Dodson were two scientists that invented this stress response curve. They invent they they discovered it over a hundred years ago. So we've known about this for a really long time, but it's still not really, I don't feel well integrated this concept into Western medicine. So what this law says is basically exactly like you described. You have a certain amount of stress that is healthy because it challenges the body in a healthy way. But once you tip over into too much stress, it becomes negative. And the tipping point is when the stress becomes overwhelming for the the body and the brain. And that is different for each of us. So, you know, it's I always tell patients, it is unfair because you will know people who can, you know, sleep for six hours, eat unhealthily, um, drink alcohol more than you should, and they never get sick. They just they're they're good. We, we all know these people. Um, you know, there's not a lot of them, but they do exist. And then I have some patients who, you know, have to sleep nine hours a night. They can't drink alcohol. They have to be very, very healthy to just feel 
quote unquote normal. So everyone's stress tolerance is different, but the good thing is you can shift your stress tolerance as well. You can shift it. So it depends on the biological factors that you have that are contributing to your stress tolerance. You know, is there environmental toxin exposures that you can reduce? Um, if you know, there's a, there's a variety of things we can do. You know, is your vagal tone low, like we talked about earlier? So there's there's ways we can shift this 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 curve. Um, but starting where your current curve is is important. Wow! Yeah. Like one thing I I, I was doing some research um, for this podcast, and one of the keys to resilient resilience I, I you spoke about some softer things like compassion gratitude yeah. flexibility and that doesn't mean like being able to touch your toes but the ability to be yeah. adapt to your environment as opposed to be rigid and stuck and i have to do that now yes exactly and you know if you talk to people who live to 100 these are some themes that come up they are usually um they usually are quite grateful for what they have even if they don't have a lot um they're usually quite flexible um, thinking. And these things are good for our brain, you see, because these decrease stress in the brain. When we're able to be flexible, the brain it feels less stress and less stress, uh, less bad stress, less negative stress. And these are traits that we can all cultivate. So some people are naturally more flexible. It's just the way it is. Um, some people are naturally, it's easier for them to practice gratitude and compassion meditations. Um, but everyone can learn how to do these. These are brain skills. Anyone can learn. That's that's the good news. Yeah. How does one work on being more adaptable or being more flexible in that way in terms of their day to day life? Because some people naturally are, they they find it easier to be in flow or they seem like they're in flow. And or, some people, or even I was going to say, like we have a yeah. business, and when you've got different members of the team, you um you need different yeah. skill sets. And I know, yeah, we're we're quite chaotic. Like when chaos prevails, that's when we kind of come to life. Like, oh yes, right. This uh, whereas. Whereas other people in our team are just so risk averse and so, which you absolutely need to balance it. And they really don't yeah. want chaos at all. So it's different people are, I think, almost by nature have a different yes. stress absolutely. tolerance. Absolutely. So I think the first part is just, yeah, accepting that, yeah, diversity is amazing. And everyone is, you know, does have their own uh, set point for these things. Um, you can you can practice being more flexible in in little ways, you know. Um, if someone's five minutes late, you know, trying to just have a few deep breaths and, you know, just instead of thinking, oh, I can't believe they're late again. I'm going to bite their head off when they arrive. <sighs> exactly. Yeah. Just like, you know what? They, it's okay. You know, um, I, I don't have to account for every moment. And, um, you know, the, there's, there's all kinds of little compassion practices. You can do self-compassion practices. I feel that sometimes flexibility starts with self-compassion in a lot of um, senses, because if we're more compassion to ourselves, it's easier to give other people some slack. Um, so there's really simple compassion meditations you can do. There's loads online. Um, UCLA has a lot of great, they have an app now. Their, their UCLA mindfulness app is fantastic. So sometimes I tell patients, you know, just put on a, just put on a recording and just listen to, to one of these meditations um, a few, few minutes a day. And, you know, just a little bit every day can make a difference. Well, I certainly know in my experience of having children, that's been the greatest, you know, greatest catalyst to becoming more flexible because definitely you can, be, you can be very focused. Certainly, I look at myself in my late twenties and before having kids at thirty. Um, you know, I'm very whatever, and then having kids, it just whether you want to or not, you just have to become very flexible because your children's yeah. needs typically become ahead of yours. Exactly. When they're, when they're little, anyway. <laughs> it's so true. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely find the same thing. And you just have to let things go and you have to learn how to pick your battles. And it's it's just, it's it's a beautiful journey. I, I, I feel exactly the same since I've had, since I've become a mom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's good to, good to agree with that. Uh, how do people measure their stress tolerance or is it worth measuring your stress tolerance and having an understanding? Does that help with someone's awareness and their propensity towards burnout or resilience? Yeah, so there's different ways to measure measure different aspects of stress. It depends how you define it, of course, but you can measure things like heart rate variability. That's a, a way to measure kind of, um, uh, you know, indirectly to measure vagal tone. Um you can do things like genetic tests to see uh, what genes you carry. There's functional medicine testing that can look at cortisol rhythms, the stress hormone in your in your blood and your saliva, and how that changes over a 24-hour period. So there's certain patterns when we when I do someone's cortisol testing, if they're not peaking the cortisol the right time of day, for example, or they don't have a nice uptick after they get up, a nice little burst. Then we know the you know the stress tolerance is, is lower than it maybe you know it could be. Um, so these tests can be helpful if you're treating someone because you understand where they're at right now. The genetic side of the test can also be helpful for helping people remove the guilt and shame around why can't I just sleep six hours like my other colleagues? Um, why do I need more rest? Why am I more sensitive to stress? Because a lot of people feel a lot of guilt around these things. Um, I know myself; I need nine hours of sleep a night. I definitely have to work harder than average. I don't drink any alcohol. I live a very healthy lifestyle and I have to really manage my stress. Um, and when I do that, I generally feel good, but I do a lot of things in order to do that. So I'm probably on that lower end genetically of that spectrum and I've just accepted it. It's okay. Um, but when I was younger and you're, you know, in medical school and you're um, working insane hours, you know, I had friends who were just able to cope on four hours a night of sleep for months at a time. And I just felt absolutely awful and got sick all the time and you know so everyone's just different mm, yeah i like wow. that that really does kind of lean into the, to the diversity and that some are you designed for different functions in society by their very makeup yeah i, I like I, yeah. i'd love i'd love to lean into the sleep aspect because it sounds like sleep is really probably one of the absolute pillars which predicate yeah. you know people's well-being in general but certainly in terms of burnout or chronic fatigue or one's resilience sleep is the cornerstone because if you get poor sleep, yeah. your immune system's going to be weaker, your emotional health's going to be weaker, you're less likely to move, your relationships, yeah. you know, it all kind of stems from that almost seems like the foundation sleep. Is that what you find in your, yeah? Yeah, it really is. Oftentimes, if you can get someone sleeping better, it just changes their life. Um, a lot of times I get people who have tried a lot of different things for their sleep. They've tried the CBT um, insomnia programs. They've tried the sleep hygiene. They tried botanicals. They have tried sleeping pills. Um, sometimes they do really well with cannabis-based medicines, a tiny amount. I prescribe cannabis um, as a medicine in, in medical form. So uh, a, a THC oil, for example, sometimes we do give for sleep. In these cases where they tried lots of other things, and oftentimes it works extremely well because it sometimes lets them get deeper sleep. Um Ideally, of course, we wouldn't take anything for our sleep. We would just naturally have this perfect rhythm. But in reality, there's lots of reasons why, especially if you have a chronic disease, which doesn't have a cure, we have to manage it instead, that people don't sleep perfectly. So supporting the sleep with every tool possible. So I use um, I use devices. So I use a device called the CES. It's a cranial electro stimulation device. It has two ear clips. You put it on um, and it sends a, a different kind of pulse than the other vagal nerve stimulator device 
Um, and it puts your brain into a relaxed alpha brainwave state. And so I use that. I use, I do use botanicals. Is I that use before obviously sleep, sleep is hygiene. He, is CES before sleep or is it, is it like before yeah, bedtime? Yeah. So, not usually. So interestingly, you use it for the first 30 days. You're supposed to use it twice a day, 30 minutes at a time, twice a day, but not before sleep. Because if you use it right before sleep, inducing that alpha wave um, state can kind of uh, disrupt the deeper sleep um, cycles. So you actually have to use it three hours away from sleep, generally wow. speaking. Wow. Um, That's fair. So, I've never so, heard of that. We've, I mean, even, we've yeah. interviewed a few sleep experts and no one's ever mentioned your, you've got different tricks. You've got, wow, cool. <laughs> well, you know, and we don't always start with that because these devices cost money, of course. Um, they're not crazy expensive, but it's it's some money. So we start with simple things. But a lot of the patients I see are the difficult cases. I mean, they're if if you know if, if they if they responded well to sleep hygiene, they wouldn't be coming to see me. Yeah. Um, so we have to get yeah. Sometimes we have to get quite fancy, and um, we can usually improve things. Is the good news? That's amazing. Yeah, because like you know there <laughs> is a lot of information out there about sleep and people's sleep habits, and oh, I need nine hours and blackout blinds and a good rhythm that I get up at the same time every day and you know yeah. I get up and I do I see the morning sun and I move to get yeah. my adrenaline and I don't look at screens two hours before and I don't eat I don't eat food three hours before and I don't drink alcohol and <laughs> yeah. I I stop drinking coffee before 10 a.m. and I fill a worry journal and, and I do and, 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 uh, but I still I can get to sleep okay but then I wake up twice during the night and my brain keeps going and like what do you say to those people? Those are the people that we do the cannabis the devices um, we do functional medicine testing usually, and we look at other causes, you know, neurotransmitters and vitamin insufficiencies, like all these kinds of things. Um, really out sleep apnea. That's another one that often gets missed. Um, because that's exactly right. A lot of the patients I see, they have done exactly that and they're still having trouble sleeping. So for them, it's really frustrating because they keep going back to their GP and their GP just, you know, well, meaningly says, um, you know, have you tried some CBT? And they, you know, they just want to tear their hair out when they hear that because they they, they have tried. Um, it hasn't been effective for them so far. Wow. Is that CBT like cognitive behavior <laughs> therapy? That- yes, which which I which can be very helpful, but for some people it, it's not enough. And there's something called CBTI, which is CBT for insomnia. So that is often okay. a first step that is um, done for people in the medical system when they have um, insomnia. And it includes exactly the things that you just described. So the blackout lines, the sleep environment, the shutting off screens, the worry journal, you know, all of those things. So they're all still important, but sometimes it's not enough. Mm, yeah, yeah. Totally and do you find in terms of sleep that there's a difference between men and women or whatever people are identifying in terms of their gender? Do you find there is a difference um, between due people? To hormonal cycles. Due to, yeah, due to hormonal cycles in terms of people's sleep. Yeah, definitely. So um, a lot a lot of times when women start to approach perimenopause, their sleep changes. And that's the first time that they will notice a problem. Sometimes they've always been what they would maybe say a light sleeper or not a great sleeper, but they've just been okay. And then when the hormone starts to change, the hormone levels start to change in early uh, perimenopause, um, then the sleep becomes more disrupted and it's it's a big issue. So you have to include hormones when you when you think about sleep, definitely. Wow, wow. And yeah. if we're to move into the topic of resilience, I think we've gone burnout. We looked at different things for resilience because I think resilience ultimately is our ability to deal with stress, isn't it? And to cope with, yes. to, to go from stressful state back to kind of, you know, parasymp- parasympathetic state. Um, 
what are kind of fundamentals to resilience? Like I think we mentioned some of the softer ones, which is, you know, flexibility, gratitude, yeah. which one doesn't necessarily think in terms of, but then when I think about it spiritually, to be gratitude or to be grateful is to be fully present and to kind of, yeah, to, to accept what you have around you. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I think there's, there's so much for me as a doctor, I look at resilience in terms of, you know, biological resilience, psychological resilience, immune resilience. Um, so there's different aspects to all of these, all these things. So I think some of the simple things you can do is number one, eat real food, avoid ultra processed food as much as you can. Don't beat yourself up when you have a treat, because that's not great either. But you know, just just try to eat real food, try whenever you can. And this is not always possible to cook from scratch. I get it. I don't cook from scratch every night. But I do um, subscribe to some of these organic meal services that have all real foods, all whole foods. You just put them in the oven. So, you know, there's ways to cheat this. But eating real food, that's, that's, that's a big one. So from, Try to eat from, organic. from farms rather than factories. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, you know, I, I get my food from a supermarket for the most part. But I try to buy organic whenever I can. Try to buy local whenever I can. Um, even going out when it's when it's the summer here, you know, we pick apples, we pick plums, we pick berries, we do things with them, we freeze things, we grow vegetables, not a lot of vegetables, but we grow beans, we grow um, courgettes, you know, just just little things and just just a backyard garden. So it helps you to eat real food when you have it kind of close by. Um, I think the second thing is, and this is a really tough one for people, is alcohol intake. Because alcohol is universally a resilient killer. <laughs> right. And, and you know, I, I say that, you know, I, people are going to be rolling their eyes, I know, because it's it's such a, um, a ubiquitous part of our culture, especially in the UK. I think in Ireland as well, it's it's a big part oh, of hugely, yeah. culture. Um, and it's problematic for a lot of people because it's not good for, it, it depresses the immune system. It can, um, it leaves the brain in a more anxious, depressed state after the initial boost. It actually impairs um, different phases of sleep. So, you know, we really have to be careful with alcohol. And, and I think a lot of people do overuse it and it's so socially normalized. So sometimes, especially patients are on a budget, I start with just eating real food and I say, just take an alcohol holiday. Um, and we start with four weeks and then sometimes we extend it to eight weeks. And a lot of times they just feel so much better. Um, wow. There's some cool new things coming out on the market. There's a spirit now by uh, one of my colleagues at um, Imperial College, Professor David Nutt. He's come out with this alcohol-free spirit that oh, does yeah. make you feel a bit a bit buzzy. And um, so a lot of times I tell my patients, take a bottle of that with you to a dinner party. It's a good conversation starter anyways. And just top your drink up with that instead. And you know, once they get used to it, they say, you know what? I didn't really miss the alcohol, actually. And I didn't have a hangover. So it's it's harder when you're out. You know, when you're at a restaurant or you're at a pub, that's when it gets trickier. But um, yeah, the real food, the alcohol and spending time in nature, doing something to relax your nervous system. That is another really big thing. We, we really, even myself, you know, having a baby, I work full time. Um, I don't live in central London anymore. For me, a big part of resilience was going to my dance class every week, but it's in central London. And I haven't been back. I'm actually starting to go back now. I, I took about six months away because life just what, got what really busy. What type of busy. dancing? Uh, contemporary dance. I'm very nice. bad. This is going to make it sound like I'm some great dancer. I'm not, I promise. <laughs> but it sounds it. so cool to prioritizing dance. Like that sounds brilliant. Your inner child must be delighted. Yeah. You know, I have a wonderful teacher. He's He's been teaching dance for about 
gosh, I would say almost 50 years wow. and he's still dancing. He's still in the best shape of, you know, it's, it's amazing. So I find, you know, when I get to his class once a week, even though it takes me almost an hour and a half traveling on the train each wow. way to get there. But I've decided recently I have to start going again because for me, it's, it brings so much joy to my, to my week that, you know, some, but it's, it's sometimes these things that feel very frivolous. And when you're a mom, you have the mom guilt and you're busy and you're tired. But at the end of the day, sometimes these things that seem frivolous are actually really good for our spirit. And that's actually really important for resilience too. Mm, that's a great point. Yeah, I like so the idea of things that kind of inflate yeah. our spirit, that that is that, yeah. that a huge healing power. That And even like the idea of going out with friends and maybe having a couple of drinks, even though yes. alcohol as, yes. as, as a rule typically can be quite anti-resilient but the, the laughter the joy the friendship the connectivity yes. can outweigh but, but that could be that could be just a walk in the morning or it could be a coffee in the morning there's a <coughs> million ways yes. to do it yeah. but it's I think you're, what you're, you're hitting on there is yeah. the relationships and the therapeutic it's effect the relationships. Of, of having friends that you feel accepted and belong to and you feel you can be yourself like I think that's probably yes. what you're saying well said and, and, but it's true I think when people have to stop drinking especially in this culture they do feel quite isolated so it is that balance isn't it how do you go out and enjoy a drink with friends um, maybe just just having one, maybe just having an alcohol-free spirit, um, and just making it very casual about it. Because you're right, the connection you get from those moments is is very healing as well. Yeah, yeah. We we run an alcohol-free challenge yeah. every January, so it's always amazing to see. We gave yeah. it back all 20 years ago, not because we meant it, but it was just happened, and you did, we, you did, we didn't really hey. think about it. But when you see, you know, when you the challenge of going through it, the social... Um, and it's kind of just changing your whole yeah. social cycle instead of meeting friends to go out in the evening. Maybe yes. going out at sunrise and going for a walk or exercising or going to dance classes, just socializing differently. Yeah, you're friends. right. You have to completely rework your social life when you yeah. don't drink alcohol. My, my husband and I both don't drink alcohol now and it's we become more daytime people now. Mm. Um, with kids, it's easy, actually. Yeah, so it's just, night time is for fit. 9 p.m., I gotta go. <laughs> go to bed. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Time to go to bed. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we find most of our friends are all, they don't drink alcohol. It just happens. You tend to gravitate to people that get up early and, you know, go to bed early or prioritize sleep or yeah. whatever way. That's kind of what happened in our circles anyway. Um, yeah. Um, there was one more thing I was thinking of there was, uh, like, I've heard you talk about polymyalgia. Our mom is fibromyalgia, isn't it? I think it's poly. Oh, it's poly. She's poly. Oh, you know, I've heard you talking about fibromyalgia. Polymyalgia, is that like another burnout? Poly like, is that another... So polymyalgia rheumatica is a condition where it's actually an autoimmune condition. And it's really common in, as people get older. So we usually see it in people who are 50 years or older. Although it's possible to see younger, but very rare. And it can be very debilitating, as you probably know. So the acute treatment is we usually give people steroids. Yep. She knows about she that. She loves yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> they make life better at the moment. They do in the moment. So, so you know, you have to do that. I mean, we're, you know, I'm not anti-medicine. I'm a medical doctor. So, you know, it, it's good to do that in the short term because you have to calm down the inflammation. But in the longer term, a lot of the functional medicine, the integrative medicine pieces um, can often come into play. Um, so looking at things like um, anti-inflammatories, I again, I use cannabis sometimes, uh, which is an anti-inflammatory um, in the form of oils by prescription, of course. Um, CBD, which you can get over the counter, is something people can trial, but it's not usually quite as effective, but at high doses can, can help some people. Um, other things like liposomal curcumin, other anti-inflammatory herbals. Um, looking at from a functional medicine perspective, we look at the gut, there's all kinds of things we do to see, okay, is there something else we can shift that will 
hopefully indirectly um, impact the immune system in, in the right direction. So so it's not a quick fix with integrated medicine. Unfortunately, integrated medicine is kind of slow medicine. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times there, there is a, a kind of a lever of control that you can find in to kind of reduce the recurrence of uh, uh, PMR. Wow. Yeah. PMR, that's what it's called, polymyalgia. Rheumat. 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 Rheumat something. Rheumatica. Rheumatica. There we are. PMR, that's way easier to say. Sounds a bit like PMA though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Jeez, um, you're brilliant. This is fascinating. It really, really is. I love your gentle approach. You're very articulate. And I, very I love the upstream approach. Like, it's not easy, but it's like, it's really the principles that underpin health. And when whether you're dealing with burnout <laughs> or autoimmune disease, like, it's it's harder to go upstream. Like, most people just, oh, yeah. give me a pill and make me better. But it's kind of looking at the underpinning issues. Yeah. And how can you get a better foundation with which to live a healthier life? Yeah, exactly. There's There's not really any instant fixes to these problems because these problems take years to develop in the body and the brain so we have to remember that we have to remember they do take time to to remediate wow so for yeah. anyone who's listening and kind of goes okay I, I feel like i've got you know or someone in my family if it's not themselves they kind of go oh my partner my friend they're definitely like they're not the same person that they've been what would you say to that person well, I think the first thing is, yeah, reaching out to family and friends and just getting your social network mobilized. And of course, going to see your doctor, going to see your family doctor is always the first protocol. Um, just to rule out, of course, anything serious that could be underlying because symptoms of fatigue and it's so nonspecific that in the beginning, we often have to start by ruling out serious things. Um, but after those things have been ruled out, usually this is when people come to see me. Nothing terrible is going on as far as they don't have cancer. There's nothing, um, you know, there's no serious exact causes. And that's when seeing an integrated medicine doctor or an integrative nutritionist can be really helpful. Wow. Yeah, I like that. That's nice. Nice. Very good. And right. you, you said, you said yeah. typically underneath there's often some catalyst, some external catalyst, like it could be a death or losing a job or yeah. something. There's typically some external. Or a viral illness or something. Yeah. That's at the root before the kind of the chronic fatigue or some of these other symptoms might come. Yeah, it's it's usually either an emotional trigger, a physical trigger, or an immune system trigger. Sometimes there's two or three of those at the same time. Um, whether you know, I've seen people who had undiagnosed Lyme disease; they had a tick bite that they didn't really even know about, and that was actually the cause of their fatigue. They had wow. chronic they had chronic Lyme. Um, I've had seen people where they had COVID. Of course, I treat a lot of long COVID patients, so that I usually get. They usually come to see me after they've been sick for at least a year. So they've usually had COVID. They might have gotten better, but not all the way, or they just never got better. Um, so oftentimes those viral triggers can play a role. And then some types of uh, viruses, like the Epstein-Barr virus, like COVID, now we we know for sure, it's not been proven in um, a big study recently, they can hide in the gut in some people. So they can hide in what's called their biofilm. So when the immune system gets lower, these viruses become active again. So sometimes, I mean, it's it's complicated. We have to look at all of these factors. So that's why it takes time um, to tease them apart. And that's why people get put into the too hard bucket. But there are things that we can do to tease them apart. And usually we do um, get there yet. <laughs> you, you can almost have to be like a detective, like a world-class detective of, of putting in multiple, multiple tests and then trying to somehow find, put on your you know, your detective hat and kind of go, well, what, what, where's the correlation? Where does the Venn diagram, where do these things overlap? And, you know. That's right. Yeah, it's, it is detective work. I think that's why I enjoy it so much because it is exactly that. You're working with the patient as a partner 
to, you know, be a detective and find out the best path for them. And and is typical is there a typical time frame for people to recover from a you know, a general burnout? Is it months? Is it years? Is it weeks? Um, it depends. If it's very mild, it could be weeks. If it's moderate and there's, you know, immune dysfunction and other things going on, it's usually months. And if people are bed bound with chronic fatigue for a year or more or long COVID, I've had patients who have been bed bound by the time they get to see me for a year with chronic fatigue syndrome. We're taking probably two years to get them better. Um, and sometimes it's slow and it's really painful progress because they can get better and then they can have a setback. But we, we do tend to get there in the end. That's the good news. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. And uh, your recent book is The Resilient Blueprint, isn't it? Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry, I didn't learn your it. type, learn your types of um your type of resilience, which type of resilient person you are, not which type of warrior you are. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah really, really good. i it's been such an honor to talk to you. You're brilliant. A font of knowledge. Thank you. It's yeah. so nice. It's been so much fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Mel. Yeah. Yeah. If you ever come on holidays, we're, we're in Ireland. We have a cool little farm and a cool little world of. Oh, yeah. we'd love to come. Where are you guys yeah. located? Literally just out to Dublin. We have a cool. Oh, I'll, I'll send you. I'll, I'll get your oh, email wow. and I'll send you everything about it. Like, it's cool and we can find yes, you somewhere to stay. Love... It's really cool. Like, it's um, one of the most livable community in the world under 20,000 people. It's right by the sea and there's nice saunas wow. and there's. You know, we have, we have a four a acre regenerative front and a regenerative farm and and a food business. You know, it's all based around whole plant foods. So we've been at it for. I, I think we will probably just want to move there. <laughs> Great, it's nice. It is the really nice part of the world. Well, it's really lovely. Thank you. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks a million for today. Bye, 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 bye. you too. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. 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 bye.